and welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, and this podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday, normal rhythms of life. On the podcast today, all the guys are with me. Guys, say hello. Uh, this is Rob Spikestra, Pastor of Discipleship. Kevin Kenora, Pastoral Assistant. Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, everyone. First off, I want to do some uh, housekeeping. Uh, we know that we have uh, annoyed some of you to death uh, <laughs> over the past few years. We are um, we come in here and we get after these podcasts, and we're really working on a small budget. And we've just you know found microphones around the offices and stuff that we weren't using, and and we're not really using too great of software and all this kind of stuff. We're putting we're really the most time we're putting into this podcast is either preparing for it or just delivering it. We haven't really worked on it very much. And because of that, um, we do some annoying things. You know, there's a lot of breathing into the mic. There's a lot of lip smacking that comes from me. I know it does. Uh, my wife doesn't mind my lip smacking, by the way. Okay. She listens to it all the No. So, uh, we are working on that. That's the, uh, there's some stuff that we got to get better at on this side of the podcast. Last week, if you heard the funky, there were some funky noises in it. Um, obviously, that was, we were speaking on demons, and so that was clearly demons affecting the you technology. That, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but no, what actually, what I, I mean, I literally, when I was listening to it, it was so weird. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh man, the one we're doing on demons. Yeah, and that's out. crazy. Um, and apparently my computer is now demon possessed because we tried to restart my computer to see if that would um, improve it and my computer refused to restart. So we're gonna have to buy a new computer, it looks like. We're gonna have to, and we're buying new microphones. We've got new microphones, more professional microphones, and we're gonna try to be more professional. So please, thank you for being gracious to us and thank you for being gracious with us and uh, sticking around the podcast. Uh, you do some, some folks do send me the emails and let me know or the text messages how annoying things were. And that's actually helpful for me because then we can make the changes. Yeah. So nobody likes to do annoying things and nobody tell them. Right? Yeah, right. So thank you for that. We are seeking to make some big improvements here in the next few weeks and months. And uh, so just be patient with us. And again, thanks a lot. What I want to do on this podcast and the next is uh, we are currently in our origin series at Sacred City church and we are right now we're really looking at biblical masculinity and biblical femininity and this past week i preached on biblical masculinity and this coming up week um rob is preaching on biblical femininity so what we really want to do is a kind of a companion podcast um today we'll talk about biblical masculinity uh go off of my sermon maybe hit on some things i talked about further expand on some things um, and then I got to tell a story. So that's just, I know there's a story that needs to be told. Yes. Mm. And, uh, Good. and the story will be told. So, um, first off from you guys, you know, we're talking about masculinity. Um, I guess right away. Um, I guess I'll just let, open up. What, what were, what were some thoughts from you guys on, uh, on the sermon? Yeah, I think the, uh, thing that really, I appreciated it was trying to get down to the essence. You talked about what is the essence. Sometimes getting to the essence is helpful because you begin, you can begin to think that, oh, I've, there's certain things I got to do, or it looks a certain way. And that is a danger because we're all uniquely made. We got different talents. We got different gifts. We got different personalities. We got different histories, you know, all yeah. the, the, these things going along here. So we want to be careful that we're not just mimicking 
someone else in our masculinity. So your essence, you said, was a glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. And that was a real help for me to be thinking through, okay, so what does that look like for me and how God has, has made me? So a glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. And of course, then you showed us what that looked like with regards to Jesus Christ. But uh, yeah, that was, that was very, very helpful for me. And I think it's important mm. that we get to that essence in order then that we can work it out, particularly for each one of us. Yeah. That's good. I think too, even as uh, Rob was saying all that, it was popping in my head, all the, the, the three breakdowns that you had for what men are in the culture. And that's where a lot of people actually get like, hey, I didn't grow up with a dad. I'm not for sure what they're yeah. supposed to look like. Mm. I'm going to look at the Adam Sandler. I'm going to look at the Andrew Tate, or I'm going to look at this person. Um, and s- some of those the are... Alex Tate, man. Yeah, the Alex Tate. Yeah, you got you got, <laughs> you got that mixed Uh-oh. up, man. You almost ruined me, man. You ruined me. <laughs> so but, yeah. the three counterfeit masculinities, yeah. I think, is what I call them. Yeah, yes. Three counterfeit versions of masculinity. Yeah. Right. Does anybody remember what they were? Yeah. Luke? Uh, that's one. The meathead? Uh-huh. Man whore. <laughs> there you go. The meathead. I thought Rob Luke, was going to say the man whore. It's like the all three of us not going out. <laughs> he just skipped on it. <laughs> yeah, I'll just stick away, stay away from yeah. that one. All right. Yeah. And uh, well, even in that, in laying out those three, I think it was really helpful. You made the point, at least in the first service, that they're counterfeit and that they're counterfeit because, you know, Satan is actively trying to copy something that can't be copied mm. you know and so just to have that set of um set of lenses like oh okay yeah this this isn't just lost people being lost this is an intentional demonic device to try and lead men away from being men yeah mm. yeah yeah i said some i think i did only said that in the first service that you know only things of high value yes. and quality get counterfeited I don't remember what example I used, but you know, you, we counterfeit money, we counterfeit Jordans, we counterfeit things that are expensive. Yeah. Nobody counterfeits, you know, hmm. cheap crap yep. that nobody wants. Yeah. So when Satan, why does Satan counterfeit masculinity? Because it's of high value, it's of high importance. We know this. As the men go, so society goes. Mm-hmm. As the men go, so goes the family, mm-hmm. so goes the church, so goes the culture. Yeah. And so if you win the men, you win the culture. Yep. That's it. So yeah, so there's and and it's you know, he's got a few different tactics. Turn a man into a fool or, or turn a man into, you know, something something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Mm. Man, you see, and you think about the, the garden, you know, it, this one of the things that's been really good to go through this whole origins study is to be able to reflect back on the garden and the Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and see how it just gets played out from culture or from well, culture to culture, but I was thinking more generation to generation. So in other, in other words, there's nothing new under the sun. Satan truly isn't creative in any way. He just continues to, you know, do the same thing, but just, just just looks a little bit different. And so you think about when, when serpent Satan is, is tempting Eve and that whole idea that Adam was right there and just kind of sitting back, not, not stepping in. So he was being, in one sense, the meathead. He was, you know, no brains at that moment, yeah, right, right? right. And he oh, was. Oh, she's talking to a snake. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, like he should have probably caught, caught on to something there. She looks good though, doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so you see how, uh, you know, in in that moment where, when the man doesn't step in, 
and like you said, how how the man goes how, is how the culture is going to go. And at that cultural moment of, of significant cultural moment, he did not step in and play the part that God had called him to be, which was to protect her and provide for her and to to really be the one. Hey, you, if you're going to talk to somebody, you talk you talk to me. Mm-hmm. You don't talk to you don't talk to my my wife here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's interesting. I um, how that can be played out in some very simple ways. Um, one time we were, my wife and I were out, um, we were at an Airbnb, and the owner of the Airbnb, he called my wife and was angry, and he didn't want to talk to me. He wanted to talk to her, you know, and so I take the phone, and I say, if you're going to talk to anybody here, you're going to talk to me, because he was, he was being pretty vicious, mm. you know, he was angry at something we had done, and, and uh, you know, so I had a complete good explanation for it, but he didn't want to talk to me, he wanted to talk to her, and that's, Again, you go, you know, that's a small way, but it's for me to step into that moment. Nobody should yeah. talk to my wife like that. You know, mm-hmm. you talk to me like that. That's yeah. fine. We can we can talk this through, but yeah. yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and every word in that definition is so poignant and so important. Um, the glad assumption. So we don't do it begrudgingly. We're to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Yeah. We're to do everything um, with joy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're not begrudgingly taking on responsibility. We're gladly assuming that responsibility. Yeah. And I say that because taking responsibility for things, it, like everybody wants to take responsibility for the win. Mm-hmm. Right. But nobody wants to take responsibility for the loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? The receiver dropped the pass. Oh, it wasn't my fault. It, I was it, I was getting pass interfered with, or it was mm-hmm. a bad throw, or the light was in my eyes. You know, yeah. like, we want to blame everything rather than just saying, "Man, I didn't perform. Yeah. I yeah. dropped the ball. I mm-hmm. failed. I'm yeah. not doing good at my job. I'm not pr- providing, protecting, discipling my kids." It's hard to step in. So first, I wanted to say, like, the calling to be biblically masculine. And then that, that was one thing I kind of started with that was kind of controversial in one sense is that every biological male is meant to grow up into biblical masculinity. Yeah. And every biological female is meant to grow up into biblical femininity. Yeah. Like that's that's the goal. But I think that's important because, you, I mean, you said grow up, right? I mean, that's a, the part where you have to be shaped and molded into that. Um, and I, I think you hit on some of those pieces um, but a lot of men think just because they're 18 or they're 25, like, I'm a man. Like, no, but what, is, what does it look like to grow into that? I don't think you went into too much detail, but can we yeah. talk about that a little bit? Well, I, I, <clears throat> it's not as much detail as it is, the, I said, the man who is taking on more responsibility is growing in his masculinity. Yeah. And the man who is running from responsibility or shying away from responsibility is not. Mm. And it's really as simple as that. The glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility, like Jesus carrying a cross, like Jesus taking on more weight, like Jesus mm-hmm. stepping in and saying, I will take ownership of this situation. Yeah. The results are in my in my hands or up, up to me, obviously up to God you know, un, under his providence, but taking ownership of everything that's happening in my room, mm-hmm. in my house, in my family, in my business, in my school, whatever, you know? 
taking ownership of it as like the buck stops with me. Mm. Like we're going to be different. We're going to change. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out what my wife needs to flourish and grow. And I'm going to provide that for, her. I'm going to figure out what each of my kids need. And I'm going to, you know, yeah. I'm going to, what do we, what kind of uh, income do we need? All right. What do I got to do to earn that income? Mm-hmm. That's on me. Yeah. Right. So when we, when we talk about glad assumption, maybe there's something we need to identify here. And that is that word glad, because the very description that you had we should be careful not to think that, well, somehow this is going to be happy or, I don't know, easy or something that's going to make us feel good. Because I'm thinking about, you know, obviously the, the prime example of this is Jesus. He took on the glad responsibility or assumption of, of, of sacrificial responsibility. Certainly, when we consider what that meant for him, that, that was a hard mm-hmm. road. That was a very difficult road. So how is Jesus glad in the midst of that hard road? Well, we know that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So there was a future glory that he was looking forward to that pulled him along. We we would call that, or the Greeks would call that a telos, a a goal. And and men, we are goal-oriented creatures, right? right? Very specifically, we're, we're... I mean, Aristotle said that we're um, a goal-seeking animal. And what does that mean? That means no one enjoys the two-a-day football practices. But I'll tell you what I enjoy less, and that's losing football games. Yeah. (laughs) Right? So I'm willing to go through the two-a-days when it's 100 degrees in Iowa with 90% humidity. I'm willing to go through that because the joy of winning football games pulls me forward. Right. Right? And most people don't enjoy working out. We don't enjoy the strain. We don't, when, when you're running and your lungs are screaming, we don't enjoy that. But we enjoy getting faster. We enjoy mm-hmm. the results. It's the same way. I want to be a good man. I want to be a godly man. I want to have a legacy. I want to have kids that respect and honor me. I want to do all this for the glory of God. And I want to have a fruitful legacy that is that the devil hates. Like I want the name of Dean. I want the devil just to hiss when he hears the name of Dean, all of my descendants, because we are potent in our faith and we love Jesus and and kick a hole in his kingdom and and work to build the devil's or work to build God's kingdom. So that's, that's a goal. That's a tell us. That's a legacy that I have in front of me. And so I'm willing to do the hard things to enjoy that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So most people won't do, hard things today that would enable them to do amazing things later. Yeah. Well, the glad assumption responsibility is a little bit like that. Like I'm assuming this responsibility because I want godly children. I want a godly, I want a marriage that sings for the rest of my life. I want, I want to have, be a, have a happy, holy marriage for my whole mm-hmm. life. Right. <clears throat> In order to do that, I gotta, I gotta take on some painful responsibility now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and ultimately, that also gets redeemed and fulfilled and, um, you know, restored in the new heavens and new earth. Yeah. So every good thing we do on this earth, even though it's tainted by sin and it's not good enough and it's halfway, whatever, that's still going to move on into the new, new heavens and new earth right. and lay up for us treasures. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think those are those are a, a couple ways that I would think that Jesus took on the glad assumption. Right. Obviously, he chose it. Yeah. He, he 
He didn't have to come to this earth. He chose to do it. And then for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And he's now glorified at the right hand of God. So we're going to be glorified at the right hand of God. And we're n- none of us are ever going to be disappointed over any act of obedience that we did on the earth. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, any good thing we're not going to be, uh, we're not going to be upset about. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it can work. It's going to work for it in the new heavens and new earth. I think. Good. Yeah. Good. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I think it's important that we are thinking of these things in terms of that telos, that end. What are we aiming for and keeping our eyes upon mm-hmm. on that? Because so much is of being what it means to be a man. It's difficult, and there's difficult days. I mean, yeah, just, yeah. just difficult days. Yeah, and I wanted to. <clears throat> I didn't want to preach it like men, you suck. Just suck it up and right. try harder. Yep. And I hope I, that it wasn't communicated. Um, yeah, I want men to take more responsibility. Yes, I want men to take more risks. You know, Jesus had harsh words for people who were too conservative with their talents. Mm. I mean, he, Jesus called them wicked servants that that just hid their talents in the ground. Mm. And he said, you know, the guy's did good that did some risky behavior to multiply to turn those 10 whatever it was 10 talents into 20 talents mm-hmm. right yeah. so we're meant to take risks in our career um and things like that we're meant to take some risks in order to have greater greater rewards um so i and and our, we're in a society that is attacking masculinity true masculinity mm-hmm. we're attacking biblical manhood and many men are afraid to offend their wives. They're afraid to offend just women in general out in the culture. And so they're just kind of slowing down, taking a back seat. Some of them are um, extending adolescence way into their 30s, mm-hmm. not buying homes, not pursuing careers, not getting their education, not becoming great at a, at a trade or something. <clears throat> they're just kind of floundering and spending their time on worthless pursuits mm, yeah. like video games. Hey, if you want to play video games for a little while, I get it. It's fun. I enjoy video games. I actually stay away from video games because I enjoy them so much. Yeah. Like Call of Duty, I during COVID, man, me and my son would stay up till 2, 2 a.m. playing Call of Duty. Same. It was a blast. Yeah. It was a blast. But I hate losing at things. Yeah. And the only way to get better at Call of Duty is play more Call of Duty. Right. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a bad Got to get your reactions quicker. <laughs> yeah. It's a deadly cycle there. It's so a, where do you think a, that shift actually happened? Because um, I feel like at one point in time, it was, you know, the woman stayed home and everybody was excited about that. The women want their man to provide and to guide and direct. And then now it's the completely opposite, right? You got yeah. you got men wanting to stay home. Women don't want to be, you know, guided or directed. Yeah. It's, you know. Well, I think men and women sin in different ways. And mm-hmm. I think probably from the beginning of time, men would prefer to stay home and kick their feet up in their lazy boy if they had <laughs> such a thing. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, I think right. that's what men would have preferred to do. Yeah. The reason they didn't is because we lived in a society that in order to produce crops, in order to kill animals, in order to build homes, it required intense physical labor. Yeah. And when you look at a woman and you look at a man, it's it's so obvious which one is built for intense physical labor. Yeah. One can lift twice as much as the other one. Yeah. You know, 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. That's the man. So the man is built in such a way to go out and protect and provide and to dig ditches and to plant crops and to work all day in the summer sun and come back in and, and then he needs some sustenance. And so she's going to cook that meal and then mm-hmm. he's going to go do it again. Right. Yeah. And then they're going to have children. Well, I'm out in the field working. So who's going to take care of the children? Well, obviously she's going to take care of the children. She's built for that. Yeah. Right. She's nursing and doing these things. So she's going to take care of more of the domestic duties. 
So in the beginning, <clears throat> the, the, the household, think of the household as a, its own community. And I mean that, think of it as its own city. So the husband had to go and get the food. So the husband, in one sense, was the grocery store. Yeah. Right? He was the business. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the protector. He was the police department. The husband was all these things. And what was the wife? The wife was, you know, she was the cook. She was the clean. She was the, or the cleaner. She was the maid. She was the mother, the, the, the care, the provider. Yeah. She was the one that would, she was the seamstress. Created she was the, the shopping store the family, yeah. or she was the clothing store because she would be making that stuff. Yeah. Um, she would do it, it, really anything that she could possibly do. That's what, that's what she would do. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but the idea was they're working for this home. He's doing what he has to do. She's doing what she has to do. Well, this was really how human beings lived until, I mean, I, I, I don't want to put, it was, it was, I mean, it started as things got, you know, a little more advanced. We, we learned trades and we learned how to trade with people. I become a blacksmith and you become a baker or whatever. And we learn how to, um, to, to cooperate and to, it's called the division of labor, right? So Hey, you can trade me your bread and I'll, and I'll shoe your horses for you or whatever. You know, we learned how to do that. But, but what, when it really changed, women were still primarily homemakers and domestic engineers or whatever you want to call, they were focused on the home. When it really changed was with industrialization Mm. and industrialization was we, we have these huge factories. Now we have mines and we have factories and we have these huge corporations and what happened was the men now went to work. Their work wasn't out in the field at the home. The kids could go out and help with them and all this kind of stuff and come in for lunch. Now I got to walk miles or, or take my horse or take my vehicle miles to go to work at a factory. And I'm there 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Mm. Right. That's where, so that took men out, out of their homes and that really changed things. And then we've got, and the, the woman also would have been the educator, primary yeah. primary educator of the children. Um, and then as we move into, um, I'll just gonna I'm gonna really quick like, we got so good at industrialization that it made our lives incredibly easy. Yeah. Mm. So the wife no longer has to wash the clothes in the creek, every single piece of clothes every day. She doesn't have to make her own clo- the, the children's clothes anymore. She doesn't have to. Per- prepare every meal from scratch anymore. Yeah. Now she has a washing machine that can do everything in one load. Mm-hmm. She can go to the store and buy all these goods. Her husband's making enough money out there, you know, that he can provide all this. And so what it, what in one sense, what it did was it made the domestic aspect of, of the home and the wife's calling kind of boring, not useless, but like it probably reached its Apex in the fifties when in the fifties that the it's, this isn't always true and everything, but we all know that the picturesque woman in the fifties, she's, she looks beautiful. The house is, the house is pretty clean and she's got a casserole in the oven. Right. But she's got it. She's got an, you know, she's got an oven. She's got electric tools. She's got, so basically she has to work for like a, a, f- a couple hours a day at that, at that point in time, kids are shipped off to school. Mm-hmm. Dad comes home, you know, and it was just, it's kind of, it's, the apex of industrialization. Yeah. Well, then women get reduced to a, a pretty face that just needs to make a casserole, right? And 
And they're like, anyone can do that. What about my brain? What about, I have other gifts, I have other talents. And basically they said, anything a man can do, I can do. And so I'm going to go out and and find a fulfilling career out in the work out in the workforce, mm. right? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, this is our next podcast, but it's interesting that women uh, were given the same uh, mandate, if you will, and that is to work before the fall. So work has been something before the fall, and so women were to be part of work. So when you get into kind of the complaint of feminism that you see at the end of the 50s and in the early 60s of, well, hey, I, I, have, I can work. I can get out into the workforce kind of a feel to it was actually a, a right reality. I mean, women were not given an opportunity to see how that work could have been done. And, of course, it, then it went, it went the wrong way or went, went, went the wrong direction, and that's yeah. another podcast. But, uh, but there is some sense of feminism has some accurate complaints about how we were looking at women and the role of man and w- woman. And unfortunately, though, of course, in, in our own, if you start, you step, step outside of the word of God or you step outside of the authority of God, you begin to solve that problem in a wrong way. Yeah. And I think that's what we, we saw kind of, kind of spiraled down where we're, where we're at today, where, you know, men are what we just described there, you know, meatheads, mooks, and man yeah. whores. That, yeah. that became the yeah. outcome of not yeah. responding accurately to the word of God. Right. And there's many a men, there's many men. So, so the, masculinity, biblical masculinity is the glad assumption of responsibility. We are tempted to sin in exactly the op- that, uh, that way, the opposite way, right? So what do we do? A woman says, well, I can go out and make money. And then he thinks, well, oh, go ahead and do that then. <laughs> I'll stay home and play video games. Right, right, right. Like that, you know what I mean? That's, so that's how we get to like stay-at-home dads. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying every stay-at-home dad is doing that, but there's a temptation at, there's a natural sinful proclivity in every young man yeah. to be a lazy turd. Sure. <laughs> like you just have to, most of the time you got to make him wake up. You got to get out of bed, mm. walk, brush your teeth, comb your hair, uh, go work hard. Life's about more than just having fun and hanging out with your friends. Like this is just what boys, boys are prone to do. Right. And that we have to um, help them grow up into maturity by giving them responsibility and then holding them to that responsibility yeah. and teaching them there's joy on the other side of the glad assumption of sacrificial yeah. responsibility. Yeah, right. That's, That's good. Right. That's good. And I kind of want to like shift this uh, just a little bit because we talked about a lot of the um, actions um, of a man, but what about the visuals of a man, right? Because sometimes we see a guy coming up or a woman comes up or a woman sees a guy coming up like, that's a man's man, Right. But then you have a guy, what some people call, you know, uh, he, he's a little feminine. Yeah. Right? So, so, so does that actually matter? A guy that's actually yeah. suited up and then a guy that's just wearing a camo and boots and want to, want to ax things down? Well, you know, does that matter? It depends on what you mean. Yes. <clears throat> so it's like this. This is how I heard, I've heard Doug Wilson describe it like this. Nearly every culture that has an army salutes. Saluting is a visual sign of respect and honor mm-hmm. in nearly every culture. But nearly every culture salutes in a different way. You know, we know how American troops salute, mm-hmm. palm down. Some do it palm up. Some do it like Hitler. You know, remember the straight arm thing in the sky? 
there's there's different ways of saluting, but there's an you could say there's an essence of it. The essence of it is showing honor, right? <clears throat> well, the same way with masculinity, there's an essence of masculinity that can dip, but but its its depiction can differ a little bit from culture to culture. So, in an example example of that is just in in dress. Mm-hmm. There really is a way to dress masculine, but that is culturally defined. How you express it is culturally defined. Mm. Every culture that has ever existed, the men dress differently than the women. Yeah. Right? Women, whatever. I'm not going to describe that all to you, but now the people always go, oh, well, what about, you know, I use this in my sermon, what about the Scots, you know, and their dresses? The Scots didn't wear dresses, they wore kilts. And if you called them, if you said it was a dress, <laughs> they would use the sword that's attached to it, yeah, yeah. or the broad axe <laughs> that's attached to it, and would, you know, you'd, you'd be fighting over it. But that's what men did. That was a, that was how men expressed their masculinity. Men did not dress like women in, 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 in Scotland or even you know, um, around the world. Men don't dress like women. Whether it's a head covering, whether it's jewelry, whether it's how long your dress is, uh, whether it's pants or knots, not, there's an essence that, def- that separates masculinity and femininity, mm-hmm. but its expression looks a little different in each and every culture. And, and so we should not want to transgress that. The Bible specifically says men shouldn't wear women's clothes and women right. shouldn't wear men's clo- men clothes. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't tell us exact. It doesn't say men shouldn't wear whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So lots of guys want to make, you know, oh, you know, lots of guys that, that oh, they want to make fun of skinny jeans. Mm-hmm. And I don't think skinny jeans are feminine. Right. Um, I think the guys that say they you shouldn't wear skinny jeans probably never wore skinny jeans because <laughs> skinny jeans are stretchy and they're, God, stretchy crazy. they're way more comfortable. <laughs> Once you go stretchy, you ain't going back. <laughs> yeah, man, they're, they're way more comfortable. Uh, but it, but the, the idea is, but if a man looks effeminate, then that is a problem. Mm-hmm. He's sending off either feminine signals or uh, androgynous signals. Mm-hmm. Like gender doesn't matter. Like he's somehow, somehow fluid and he's in between. And I used Harry Styles as an example, on the first service, because he wears dresses and he wears all kind of weird stuff, right. mm. and and that that's not masculine, right? Right. So we should dress masculine. Now it doesn't mean you got to wear camel pants and cargo shorts and you know wife beaters and stuff, but you should dress like a man, mm. right? You yeah. should you should dress like a man. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, and probably <laughs> when we're talking about dress, you dress according to your calling. So one man. Will dress with a suit, tie. That's his calling because the calling requires that. Another man is wearing, you know, he's a, he's a worker. He's out on, he's 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 getting dirty. He's getting his hands dirty. So he's gonna he's gonna dress completely different. So, but we all know what a man should be wearing in, in each of those those places. And your dress says something about you, and it says something about your station in life, but a calling. But it also says something about what you're doing. <clears throat> so this is why it's inappropriate to wear shorts to a wedding. Mm. Like you should not be wearing shorts and a flip-flop to a wedding unless it's on the beach. Yeah. Right? We dress up to show honor and respect to God, to the institution and to the, the couple there, right? Mm-hmm. So dress matters. Now um how do I grow in my masculinity? I grow in my masculinity by taking glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility in every area of my life. 
every parent knows from a child, a young man will blame. It wasn't me, it was my teacher. I read the wrong chapter, read the wrong book, the test was on the wrong thing. Uh, I have a mean teacher, I have this, I have that. It was the gym teacher, it was this. It's the coach. Young men constantly try to push off responsibility. And guess what? So do old men. So do adults. <clears throat> hey, why didn't you get that done? Oh, I tried, but, it, you know, duh, 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 duh. they didn't do this. They didn't do that. That's not being masculine. Mm. To grow in my masculinity, and, and this is like epitomized, and, and Jocko Willink has a book that our staff read called Extreme Ownership. Yeah. It's just, the, in the military, you know this. If you're a commander, you don't get to blame it on the people underneath you. You don't get to blame it on the soldiers. If you're a sergeant or a lieutenant or whatever out in the field and somebody didn't execute your orders correctly, you know that's on you. You have to say, we didn't train hard enough. We didn't train, maybe I didn't communicate correctly. Like you, it, the, the buck stops with you, right? You can't blame shift. You can't push it down. So how do I grow my masculinity? I take radical ownership of everything that's going on in my life, Right? And uh, you can you can say um, you, 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 now that's why this is so um, difficult, and it's why every form of toxic toxic masculinity and every form of um, you know counterfeit masculinity this is what it runs from. The counterfeit masculinity wants the, either the fruit of masculinity or the or the look of masculinity but they don't want to take responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest part, is to take the, the responsibility for the success or the failure um, that's going on in your career, at home, in your office, in your church, in your missional community, in your marriage, all, all of those things. And so, we so can be afraid of it, we can be afraid of it, and we can run from it, Yeah. But the only way to grow is to take more responsibility, to take more responsibility. The growth in, in true biblical masculinity is taking on more responsibility. Do you have a question that you want to ask there? Because I'm about to well, just, talk about what that looks like. Yeah, well, just one thing in, in that, because I think immediately when I think about that, uh, the man is the head. He is 100% responsible for the... For those in whom he's over, uh, yet if you think about circumstances, you do know that there is fault. It may not be fully at fault. So there's a relationship between fault and responsibility. Yes, and I think it's actually important to 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 look into what was the fault. So we go back to the general, and the orders were not carried out appropriately. The general will say, I'm 100% responsible for the fact that that did not happen correctly, that the orders were not fulfilled correctly. But it would also be wise of him to say, so what was at fault? Who was at fault so that then you can make the correction accordingly? So it's not to say that there isn't fault that could be seen or found elsewhere. But in the end, it seems to be that if you're taking 100% responsibility, you're going to say, what, what's at fault here? Mm -hmm. And then you're going to take it and say, okay, I see how I failed in the sense of maybe providing, as you point out, training or, or whatever the case may be. So there is a place of, there's a place of identifying fault yeah. to yeah. make corrections. Yeah, so 
identifying what went wrong, what's going wrong, what's at fault. Yes. But it goes back farther than that because obviously for the general, um, you recruited him, you trained him, you put him in his position, you gave him all of his equipment and his tools. You're the one that communicated the orders, right? So eventually it's going to work its way up to you did this. Because somebody's going to be like, well, you put him there. You hired him. So you can't just blame it on him. You hired the guy. So yes, like when a wife sins, she's at fault. She is responsible to God for that sin. But he's responsible for it. So what do I mean? She goes out and she's in a bad mood one day. And so she she goes on a shopping spree and spends way too much money on the credit card. Okay? She's that's her fault. She's she's sending that. But who's responsible for it? Yeah. He is. That means he has to pay for it, right? He's got to figure out how to make more money or and he might have to, you know, confront her and have a difficult conversation and he might have to go to the pastor or go to the missional community. His responsibility. He's yeah. responsible for it. So if he doesn't so here's what happens. If he doesn't confront, if he doesn't challenge, if he doesn't uh, take responsibility for this, next month she does the same thing. And then five years down the road, they're $25,000 in debt on the credit card. Why? Because he didn't take responsibility. Not because she just spent too much. He didn't take responsibility for it and and adjust and correct and um, bring sanctification into this very practical situation. Maybe bringing pastors involved, doing whatever. Um, but the way you frame that up, he's not responsible for her sin, but he's responsible for addressing it and paying what is needed to be paid, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's not responsible. He's not responsible to God for her sin. Because she could get, keep doing it and he could keep addressing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he's responsible for the consequences and he's also responsible for addressing the sin in her life. Mm. Like in that sense, like, honey, what's going on here? We, we can't do that. You know we can't do that, mm-hmm. right? Or and the situation would vary, but but yeah, he's ultimately responsible for it. Now, what would we want to do in that situation? What would the sinful man do in that situation? I want to blame, man. Do I want to blame? <laughs> That's what I would do. Yeah, <laughs> it was that credit card. <laughs> <laughs> it was her. <laughs> God, this wife you gave me. Yeah, yeah. yeah She's a spender, sure. man. Yeah. She's a spender. This wife you gave me is a spender. Mm-hmm. Right. And and listen, sometimes it might mean actually. You're too frugal. Mm. She had to go do that because you don't give her enough money. She doesn't yeah. have enough money. And she had to go you put that on the credit card because the kids needed clothes. Yeah. Right? Like sometimes it will be literally you're not giving her enough money or you're not making enough money. Or you and, both don't have like allowance where you guys can do yeah. stuff like that. So you know? that's what I mean. Ultimately, it's going to be his responsibility. And the only way we grow in our masculinity is by not blame shifting, but mm-hmm. taking ownership and responsibility yeah. for the stuff that's going on in our life. Sure. Now, this is the part that um first i want to acknowledge this is incredibly difficult it's good to be a man but it's hard to be a man we're meant to carry a lot of weight we're meant to challenge ourselves and stretch ourselves but and many 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 men are afraid to do this because they don't want to fail and that is a recipe for disaster and that's a recipe for um not taking responsibility but if you do nothing, you're failing because you're doing nothing. Okay, good point. <laughs> but maybe you're failing in respectable ways. If you're not yeah. taking ownership, you know you're failing. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is, can you imagine, Alex, if I said, hey, man, I want to bench 400 pounds. 
and I don't ever want to fail a rep. Mm. Not going to happen. How, how could it happen? Because you don't push yourself. You're not, it's never yeah, going to happen. It's never going to happen. Failure is part of the process. Yeah. If you don't fail a rep, then you're not mm. pushing yourself. They say for basketball, you're going to miss 100% of the shots that you don't shoot. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. I want to I want to be a top scorer, but I'm afraid to shoot. Yeah. I'm scared. I get nervous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the point. You got to do it scared. Now, I say that because many of us don't like failing. When we fail, we have to repent. We don't like repent. We don't see repentance as a blessing from God. We want to be perfect. So what we do is we, 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 we never grow beyond the alphabet, you know, or whatever. Like, hey, I, I have it memorized. Woo. Now I'm not going to write anymore because, whoo, I hate failing. It's like, mm. well, no, we need to challenge ourselves and do more but we hate failing it makes us look stupid and we've got to get comfortable the term i like to use is failing forward yeah you fail you repent you own it you confess it you learn from it you get back on the horse yeah and um you know one of the downsides of preaching on this stuff that's not a first off one of the upsides is um, it causes me to reevaluate my own life before I get get up there and preach. Yeah, you know, sure. and there's some areas that I saw that I needed to take more responsibility in my own life and my wife's life and our kids' life and stuff, and and um, <clears throat> needed to push away from the lazy boy and not be you know seek my own comfort and different things. So it challenged me to get up there before Sunday and do some of those things. And uh, but also one of the difficulties or the hard parts about doing it as you're kind of judged at a higher standard too, yeah. or, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? It's like, uh, and, uh, many times when I get up there, some people, cause I don't like to share a lot of failures and weaknesses and that kind of stuff. Cause it just makes it about me and I don't like to do that. So, but it can make me sound like it, like, uh, maybe I don't ever fail or something like that sometimes. Yeah. And that's far, the far, farthest thing from the truth. So what happened was on, uh, this weekend, well, actually all last week, th- this has been one of the most crazy two weeks in the life of, in my life and in the life of the church. Yeah, for sure. We, obviously we had, we closed on a building. So, you know, million dollar building, half a million dollar remodeling project. I'm in charge of all of that oversight. I'm basically the contractor on all that. And uh, we're leasing back the building for a few months while we're doing work uh, to to the church that owned it before us. And so I'm now a contractor. I'm um, uh, a landlord now dealing with all that. And I'm also a a pastor with my normal duties and jobs. And then we had like Wednesday night, we had a walkthrough. Our whole church came out. It was amazing. Then Friday night, we got good Friday. Sunday, we got Easter. We have more people at sacred city than we've ever had before. You know, um, over 520 people here in Davenport and over a hundred and something in Moline. So a crazy busy time right back into church. You know, we got the whole week. And then Saturday, we've got a uh, our first day. ever demo, demo day. day. Yeah. And we have a lot of work to do. I mean, um, something something around like 8,000 square feet of carpet to pull up, walls to remove, a bunch of, I mean, it just, a, and it's tough stuff to pull. 50 guys show up. We're, we're there. We're, most, a lot of us are working there from eight to four. I mean, just on Saturday, just ripping stuff up. Oh, yeah. before that, Friday. My wife asked me to to build these, you know, planter boxes in her yard and then to go and fill them up with with compost. So Friday, my day off, I enjoy being outside. Not a big deal. I get a workout. I go for a bike ride and then I come and I do I go get a load in my truck from the compost facility, you know, shovel it all out, fill it all up, get all that. 
But my truck is now like full of mud and dirt and stuff, you know. Well, then Saturday week, I got to load everything up. I got to go to Menards and buy a bunch of stuff. Get down there. I'm the fir- I want to be the first one in and, you know, the last one out in a sense. And uh, so I'm there all day working hard. I mean, and I, and I haven't done that kind of, <laughs> yeah, I haven't done, was- you know, that much physical labor, like that much, you know, in a while. So my back was hurting, my legs were hurting, my hands were hurting. Yeah. And it was hard. It was it was tough. But it was amazing all the work we got done, right? Then I know, oh, man, I'm preaching on biblical masculinity, and my sermon's not good enough yet. So after 8 to 4 on Saturday, I um, come home, I eat dinner, and I got to I gotta come back to the office, and I got I to gotta work on my sermon. So I come back. I'm here about an hour, hour and a half, finishing up. As I'm leaving, I get a text from a guy in a church. He said, hey, your wife, I'm pulling up some sod in my yard, and your wife says uh, that, that she wants some of it. Can you come get it? And immediately, my first thought is what? No, I ain't going. I'm going home. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah. lazy boys call my name. And I think I've earned it. Mm-hmm. Like, I filled the dirt. I filled the the planter boxes yesterday, uh, you know, on, on Friday. I worked all day today. Mm-hmm. Um and I was like, nah, I was about to say, nah, man, I'm going home. I need to rest. I need to relax before sermon preaching tomorrow and stuff. And my sermon, the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. What a way to love your wife. Just suck it up and go get this for her. So I was like, all right. Oh, yeah, man, I can go get I've already showered. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, fine, I'll go get it. <laughs> <clears throat> I get there. Soon as I step out of the truck. So this is fresh sod. It's pretty muddy and stuff. I'm in um, normal clothes now. It starts pouring down rain. Oh, man. So I grab the sod as fast as I can, throw it in the back of my truck, go home. I'm like, oh, my goodness. This, you know, I kind of just push it off of my truck into the grass so it's not in the back of my truck. And wake up, you know, come home, hang out for a little bit, wake up Sunday morning, preach twice. And I have to get here pretty early, uh, preach twice, pretty worn out. And then I, I rem- and then I'm reminded by my wife when I get home that I had promised earlier in the week to go pick up a king size bed that she'd bought off of uh, Facebook marketplace for her. Mm. And I, so then I'm, again, I just preach on masculinity, the glad assumption, c- carry more weight, yeah. you know? So I'm like, sure, babe, mm-hmm. I can do that. Can I say this? Anybody that has ever carried a king size, you got to fold it. You got to bend it <laughs> definitely to get it up to where it's going on top of the bed springs that are going to come yeah. with it. I don't know if I have. I, we've never had a king size. Oh, man. We've had a queen. Literally 19 years of marriage, we've had a queen always. So she wants a king. So this king's going to go get her one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the deal I go out to my truck or I go out to my garage. I realize that. I only have one tarp. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal. The reason it's a big deal is the bed of my truck is muddy and nasty. Mm. Okay? And now, as I'm leaving, it's starting to sprinkle. Okay? So I'm thinking, how am I going to get this? And I said, babe, what? Is this taken up, taken apart? Like, what What tools do I need? Oh, I don't know. They didn't say anything about it. No, it's put together. So I'm like, got to grab all every tool you could possibly yeah. think of that this bed could be put together, put together with. with right. So Javin comes with me, and uh, we get in there. 
I'm about to show this boy how to take responsibility for things. <laughs> even when I'm dead tired. Uh, even when we had a tough weekend. We get over there. I got to take it all apart, of course. That's not too big of a deal. Um, but it's it's a real awkward. It's like, it's not Ikea, but it's put together in similar ways that it's just, it's awkward pieces that don't break down to really flat pieces. Yeah. So I'm like, oh no, this is going to be hard hard to put in the back of my truck. And obviously the king size mattress is huge. Yeah. So what I did was, okay, this thing can kind of stand up. So I'll, I'll put the bottom in first because it can stand up on the muddy stuff. And, yeah. and then I put the mattress on top. Then I'll use all my straps and I'll strap it down on top. Okay, looks pretty good. Javin, Javin looks at it, he's like, I don't think that's going to work, Dad. Mm. I'm like, it'll work. <laughs> You're a man's man. Listen to the man's man. I got my you. will. Yeah, it yeah. will work. It'll work. Well, th- just to know my son, this is, my, this is what my, kind of my son, he, this is what he does to me all the time. We get, we get about a, first off, we get about, a, about we, get about a, we get about a quarter mile down the road and I get a phone call from my wife saying, you left your tools back at the house. So then I had to turn back around to the house, go back and get, get my tools from the lady. We get about a half mile now away. I'm worn out. I'm tired. I'm pretty frustrated because this wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. And I realize we're, we're experiencing like gale force winds now. Like it is super windy. And I look in the back and I see that mattress flapping. Jab is like, Dad, it Wait looks for like it. <laughs> Dad's Wait like, it looks like Jab, it looks like it's I'm like, nah, it's fine. I mean, I had a ratchet strap on it. I thought I thought huh. this thing was gonna be fine. Uh, Jab is gonna be fine. 30 seconds later, whoosh, gone. Mattress shakes loose, flies out in the oh, middle of the road. No. I pull over. I go, we get the mattress, we throw it on, I put a couple more straps on it, tighten it down. We're going, well, now we're only going to go like 30, 30 miles an hour. I turn, I, I'm like, I can't take 53rd. I can't take veterans. I'm going to have to go down Hopewell here. I, I cut in across. The wind is just howling and it's getting underneath that mattress. And that mattress is basically like a sail. And wah, 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 wah. And I'm like, no. And this time it rips like almost the whole bed out of the back of the truck. Oh, no. Now I can tell there's a little bit of a, you know, there's like a damaged piece on it. And this is when I failed the test. The unsanctified uh, <laughs> Justin reappears. No, <laughs> it's not the unsanctified. Uh-huh. It's the unglorified. Unglorified. This is, there you this go. is being right. sanctified. Yeah, this is that's right. And I and I'm look and I'm looking and now it's raining. Okay, it's raining. Oh my goodness. And it's freezing cold now, and the wind is blowing, and I'm in the middle of Hopewell. And I don't know how I can get this home. The only thing I could think of was having Javin lay on top of the mattress. And I knew they were going to pull us over if I did that. He's going to blow off. So I, I, so here's the deal. I took a lot of weight on. And I was tired. And I was emotionally exhausted. And I had, was trying to take a shortcut. And I failed. And in that moment, I didn't know how I was going to get home with this yeah. bed. And so I was like... I didn't cuss. I didn't freak out, but I just, ah, and I just like kicked my tire in my truck, you know, and just had a little temper tantrum on the side of the road. And then I had to, then I said, okay, take Javin. We have to take it all out and put it on that sidewalk. There's a big sidewalk on Hopewell. So piece by piece, we took it all out of my truck, put it on the sidewalk. And then I had to put the, I put the, the tarp down in the bottom of my truck, put the mattress in first, put everything else on top of it, strapped it down again, and then drove, about 35, 40 miles out of our home and we, we made it home. But I got in the truck 
And immediately I'm convicted. Immediately I know. And then the devil's like, oh, yeah, real masculine, bro. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, carry weight, bro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're the Slippery. you're the guy that just preached those two sermons. You huh? were the Accused meathead you. at that time. Yeah, I was the, <laughs> I, I was the meathead. I was the mook. I don't, uh, but I said, Javin, I repent, man. I'm sorry for losing my temper. I shouldn't have done that. And Javin, Javin who's the most cool, calm, collected dude, he's like, that's, that's okay, Dad. I forgive you. I would have done the same thing. I was like, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen you do that. I've had a yeah. little temper tantrum on the side of the road. But then got home and I was frustrated because I had, you know, I did all this kind of stuff and I had to repent to my wife too. And so now was that a fail? Yes, that was a fail, but that's, that's like a failed rep. Mm -hmm. I put, I put three fifty on the bar and I failed it. Yeah. All right. So who cares? Mm -hmm. I repented. I owned it. And I, I literally, I think I grew because of it. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So many of us, we never want to lose our temper. We never want to take too much on where we actually drop the ball and we fail. Well, then you'll never reach your full capacity. You will die having not risked enough, and you'll, you'll always have thoughts. You'll always have doubts. Should I have taken that? Should I have done that? Should yeah. I, you know? And so from my perspective, my opinion, that's how we grow in our masculinity. Yeah. And it's, we're going to fail. Yep. Now, what is the line of foolishness, though? We, we can't be foolish, right? We do have to learn from our mistakes, and, and uh, um, we can't be foolish. So, <clears throat> But that's, that's my, my personal story of yeah. how, what it looks like when you got to apply your own sermon mm-hmm. immediately after preaching yeah. your own sermon. That's yeah. the beauty of the gospel, too, there, because the gospel gives us the opportunity to repent. We can repent because we know that Christ died for that as yeah. well, and it gives us the opportunity to say, yeah, mm-hmm. I felt, but Christ did not. Yeah, yeah. And, it, for me. and it was either that night or the next, it might have been that night. It was either that night or the next day. Man, I just you know kind of put her arm around me and says, "You're a great husband. Yeah. Love you." Wow. You know, and it's like, cool. yeah, it's you know, uh, we think a great husband is one that doesn't fail. Yeah. Right. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Well, the perfect husband, Jesus, that's the only one. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, we're gonna fail. So the gospel yeah. frees us for, frees us from that fear of failure mm-hmm. and the consequences of it really but i mean that's that's just a great picture of that like i mean definitely when you're trying and you're trying to get stuff squared away to have the the courage to go out there and continue to keep moving and, and doing that but even in your shortcomings like to have a spouse to come around you and say like hey i still love you you know you did great like you, you push forward i really appreciate you doing that for me yeah and, that, and that's the hope for all of us to have the, those spouses to be able to fill that gap and to be able to love as well and that yeah and if you're a young man you know it might mean waking up at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it might, that might be the hard thing you do. It might be going to the gym. It might be getting your degree. It might be learning that trade. Like, you, you're, you have to take on responsibility if yeah. you're going to grow. Mm-hmm. You have to take on more responsibility. Yeah. So if you're a young single man, you should be doing this yourself. Yeah. Where can I take on more responsibility? Can I lead in missional community? Can I start bringing food in missional community? Yeah. Can I start, you know, how can I take on more responsibility in my job? Mm-hmm. That's how you're going to grow. Yep. If you want a boss to love you, take on more responsibility. Yeah. Right? Get him more results. Yeah. That's that's good. that's the way. So, essence of masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Yeah, anything any other thoughts? It's good, man. It's good. All right, if you got any questions, guys, please email us. We'd love to talk about it. Um, we love you. We're praying for you. God bless. <laughs>